episode 80 of the Rami La Vie podcast. We got celebration of 80 episodes of the Rami La Vie podcast. And we got sports talk, baseball talk, the Yankees taking two or three from the Orioles, the latest episode of the Jeter doc and some football talk. Finally, all that and more coming up next on the Rami La Vie podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I often talk on this podcast about breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. So if you're feeling stressed, depressed, or just want to talk, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed, experienced therapist online, and you have access to over 20,000 different therapists that you may not have access to in your area. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and 48 hours later, you're set up with a therapist that fits your needs. You can then schedule video or phone calls and have access to unlimited messages back and forth with your experience experienced therapist. You can also change to a new therapist at any time with no extra charge. I often talk on this podcast about how perspective is anything, and that's something I learned in therapy. I had terrible anxiety, and I learned about how changing your perspective can change the reality. So take charge of your mental health and join the over 2 million people who already use BetterHelp for therapy online today. And if you use my code, you can get an extra 10% off on your first month. So go to betterhelp.com Rami for 10% off. That's B-E-T-T-E-R help h-e-l-p dot com slash rami for 10% off your first month do it today episode number 80 this is honestly insane if you had told me when i started this thing that i'd be doing 80 episodes i probably wouldn't have believed you i I knew this was something I wanted to do from the get-go, from day one. It's not like something that I didn't realize that I kind of wanted to make this a real thing and turn this into a job. But the fact that I've gotten this far and have made this many episodes, 80 episodes, uh, is truly insane. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without the support of everyone who has supported the podcast from day one. So I'm going to start with that. I feel like that's an appropriate place to start. Um, I wanted to just celebrate the 80th episode because like I said I don't feel like I've done anything yet but you have to celebrate the things that you've done so far because well it's like yeah this is this is not where I want to be it's not where I'm trying to get to there's a lot more to climb there's a long way to go but you always have to look at where you are and also look at what you accomplished and take that into account so I know I do this a lot on the podcast especially if you've been listening for only the last eight to ten episodes or so uh it feels like this may be a recurring theme and maybe it is but i still think it's an important thing and if i did have one recurring theme i don't mind that this is it so that's where we start that's where we start today's episode and today speaking of today uh it's sunday night early monday morning now as everyone wraps up their weekend i am in the studio starting a new week starting a new leaf starting a new chapter back in the studio after I was here Friday. I was here a lot last week. But um, Friday, I produced a couple of the pre-recorded weekend shows that we run here uh, on the AM station. And then I headed down to Pickles, uh, which is the bar across the street from Camden Yards. And I produced the live uh, pregame show. And before that, it was the afternoon show, Inside Access, with Jason Locke and Fora and Ken Wyman on the fan. That was a really fun Friday show. Beers were flying, lots of fun live radio, a uh, couple mishaps, a couple of stuff that happens when you're having fun and kicking some back on live radio, and the boss is already on the beach for the weekend. Um, and the place was packed with Yankee fans because they were getting ready for a series between the Yankees and the Orioles that I'm sure we'll get to a little bit later. As some of you, if you follow me on social media, you know I was at the series finale today. Today being Sunday, I guess, so yesterday at this point, um, I was at the series finale at Camden Yards for Yankees and Orioles, but game one, obviously I did not go to the game on Friday night, but I was there right up until first pitch, uh, just chilling with all the fans, getting ready for what was going to be a great weekend at the ballpark, a hot, steamy, hot weekend at the ballpark, which brings us to today, and this morning, I played baseball in my baseball league, which I mentioned briefly on last episode, at 9.30 in the morning, 10 a.m. was first pitch. Already pretty toasty out there at 10 a.m. Played. We agreed because we only had nine players on our team. We agreed to play a seven-inning game because we weren't going to be able to rotate guys in and out of the infield. Um, Luckily, we had two pitchers go, the the seven innings. And we won the game uh, on a grand slam. I 
have had better games, but I've had worse games. I was one for two with a walk and a run scored. Uh, and I played a clean second base, so I couldn't ask for more. And it was it was hot out there. And then while I was waiting for my ride because I was going to the Oriole game today, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go out back to one of the back cages and take some more BP as if I hadn't sweat enough. It was as if it wasn't hot enough outside. So I went out, kept working, uh, took some balls off the tee, and then went to the Oriole game, which thankfully uh, we were on the suite level, which means that we have access to indoor AC uh, area, the concourse that you could just kind of walk around and sit. They have some couches and stuff where you could sit at the end of the game, like by the seventh inning, we were just sitting on the floor next to the TVs, just watching the TVs. I ended up going out back outside for the last inning and a half, but like the seventh inning and the top of the eighth, I was literally just sitting inside on the floor watching the game on TV because it was that hot outside. And if you touch my skin right now and even if it's a part like my like underneath my shirt it's hot like my skin is still like steaming from the heat today it was 102 degrees at camden yards today um and between playing and then coming back home and going straight to the game i should say and then coming back home that was quite the day uh and i gotta make it through this overnight now but we're only a couple hours away from the morning as it is the early hours early morning hours of monday Right now, July 25th, two days before my birthday, by the way, which is going to be fun. So my birthday, and I'll get to that in a second. But one of the things that I thought was really cool about today's game, and maybe I'm the only one who thinks this is cool. Maybe I'm a nerd. Uh, But one of the things I thought was fun was um, it was 32 degrees at the game I went to in Detroit in April. Yankee game also. Garrett Cole got the start. And it was 102 degrees at the game that I went to today. So the fact that that sport is played in both weather and both, I guess, weathers. I don't know if that's correct pronunciation. It's definitely not, but uh, it was played in both of those climates. It's kind of cool. Like I know football gets played. It starts in September. It starts late August, even uh, with the preseason games. And then it goes into snow and stuff like that. But baseball is always thought of as a summer sport, but I was at a game this year that was 32 degrees on the field. And I was just at a game today that was 102 degrees on the field. Uh, So pretty remarkable. And yet so many things stay the same, right? Clark Schmidt being the hero and throwing as many innings as he did. And I'm sure we'll get to him a little bit later as we talk about the Yankees on this podcast. Um, The upcoming week that I have, because today is, like I said, Sunday night, I'm working the Sunday night overnight into Monday morning. I'm working the Monday night overnight into Tuesday morning. And I'm working the Tuesday night overnight into Wednesday morning. And then I take a little break from the studio. I'm going away, going to Michigan for about 10 days. I'm flying on Wednesday. And I'll hopefully be getting back on Monday. I think that's August 8th at that point, maybe August 9th. So I definitely get some time off from the studio, which I don't realize how helpful that's going to be, how beneficial that's going to be to my body until I actually do it. Once I am not working overnights every other night and not having this crazy sleep schedule and running back and forth to the studio between the studio and my other job, I'm going to realize how uh, crazy what I'm doing is. I explained this to someone how I don't really have time to stop and think about how crazy what I'm doing is. I'm just kind of living in it and doing it every day and I enjoy it. I love it. So um, I don't think about it too much. And then it's just the next day (laughs) or the next thing on to the next thing. So um I'll have three consecutive overnights, and then it's off to Michigan for a little bit of break. And like I said, Wednesday is my 25th birthday, um, which I'm, <laughs> I hate because it feels like I'm 25. I should be a millionaire by now. <laughs> no, not actually, but I'm 25. You know, uh, It's quarter-life crisis time is what's happening. Um, but I do want to take a look back because, and, and by the way, before I do that, what this means for the podcast, I'm going to be away. There's no reason why I shouldn't keep recording the podcast. One of the things that I've loved recently about this podcast is that I've been committed to doing at least two episodes a week and trying to get three in. So recording Tuesday night, the night before I fly, I don't see why I shouldn't do that. And recording on Thursday night when I'm in Detroit and having an episode ready for Friday morning, I don't see a reason why I shouldn't do that. Like to me, I'll have more time away from the studio, more time to just do my own thing and actually spend more time recording. And what I've loved about this podcast, especially over the last 10 episodes or so, is that it doesn't matter what I have to talk about and what there isn't to talk about in sports or anything else. 
it's just a place that I know I could come and I'm just going to turn on the mic and just go. And I have some notes down and whether I talk about what's on the notes or not, it doesn't really matter. And I appreciate that so many people find that to be interesting and listen to it. And uh, maybe you don't find it to be interesting. Maybe it's like, what, what am I listening to? I'm listening to his life stories. It's funny. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine um, who listens to, uh, I think, every episode. And he was like, I was telling him something. He's like, yeah, you said that on your podcast. You can't really tell me any new stories anymore, um, which was funny. And it was it was kind of funny because, yeah, like I talked about, by the time football rolls around, it's going to feel like I have so much to talk about. And that's going to be a great feeling to be able to record and always feel like, oh my God, I can't wait to record the next episode because there's so much to talk about. Whereas now sometimes it feels like, all right, I'm filling time i'm just talking about my life and about different things because there's only baseball or there's like last week it was the espies and the all-star game so to have a lot to talk about but to know that you know at least twice a week i could just come on here and vent or just come on here and talk or just come on here and do something but i know that it's happening has been really um almost therapeutic for me um so i I really uh, i'm enjoying that and i appreciate the people who are supporting me in doing that because uh, the positive reinforcement, like I talk about all the time, is the reason why I keep doing it. I'm, and I'm able to just, you know, and I don't feel like I want to skip any episodes because if I wasn't getting the positive feedback, then it would be like, okay, maybe I'll skip an episode. Nobody will notice. But no, when, when I skip a day, people are like, hey, are, are, are you talking about this topic? Are you talking about this thing that happened? What's going on? So I make sure not to skip a day. And that's something that uh, I love that people kind of hold me accountable to that. And that's that's super cool. Um, but like I said, I, I'm celebrating a birthday this week and I started saying this a minute ago that I kind of want to look back at the year that was 24 and look ahead to what might be 25. Now in my business, like I talked about with Justin Shackle, like I talked about with a lot of people, there's no real path. You create your own path. You pave your own way. That's the only way to do it. There's no blueprint and it's crazy. It's tough, but that's the only way is to just pave your own way and be your own trailblazer. And part of that is what I love. Like that is so much fun to me that I can pave my way and be a trailblazer in this business. People often ask me what my goal is. Do I want to do play by play? Do I want to be a, a, a sports broadcaster, talk show host, whatever it is. And I tell them, look, I'm interested in all those things. I think I'm good at all those things, but I don't know what the next step is. I don't know where I'm going. It's kind of like I have two things in mind. I have the overall picture of a long-term goal and then but the day-to-day and what's next and what comes next is really just like continuing what I'm doing saying yes to everything so I want to take it back to a year ago my last birthday that I celebrated I came into work at the time I was in sales in Odyssey and I don't think I've ever said this out loud to more than one person and that one person being my wife but this is something that I feel like a year away I can actually share this out loud Coming in on my birthday, and it wasn't necessarily on my birthday that I had this thought, but I definitely did have this thought at certain points in sales in Odyssey. I loved the job, and things were there were so many good things about it. My my managers were awesome. My coworkers were awesome. They continue to be awesome. They continue to be my managers, coworkers, mentors, and they're people that I love and respect. Um, and they're people that I enjoy still seeing. I still go talk out to the people in, in the sales pit, and, and I enjoy spending time with them. And I learned so much about this industry and I learned so much about myself and about life and about working and working hard and, and so many different things um, in that time period. And I, I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't give it up for the world. That it was amazing. And yet at certain times, it felt like I was right there. I was working in a sales job, wearing a button-down shirt and pants tucked in at a desk when... 20 yards away was my dream job and the feeling of that and feeling of being so close and yet so far from what you want to do was almost worse than not even being in the building in the first place and of course I know that that's not true because if I never got in the building in the sales job and if I didn't excel in the sales role that I had I wouldn't be where I am today I totally understand that I don't take any of that for granted but the idea of walking in every day and looking over, looking at the producers, looking at the hosts, looking at everyone, and thinking, man, if only I could somehow get to that side, was something that was difficult. It was something that I grappled with. And I remember walking around my birthday, there was a sales meeting, and it was a Tuesday, and we walked in, and I remember I mentioned to someone, hey, it's my birthday, and someone mentioned it at the beginning of the meeting, like, hey, happy birthday. Everyone kind of said happy birthday, and 
and everyone had a regular effing day and that was it um i obviously had my own celebrations outside of here but i I don't know It, it just it just was and i remember just the day feeling super regular and those were the type of days at the sales job that it felt like oh my god i'm so close and yet so far and how do i make that transition how do i make that leap and thank god i didn't even have to really think about even though i was constantly thinking about it how i can make this jump because i had the conversations with my manager and he was so helpful and so when the opportunity presented itself and i met spike eskin in new york at an event and then we talked to chuck sapienza here in baltimore afterwards and my manager kevin freeman we we all worked together and uh you know with help of a lot of others and we decided that this was going to be the right decision for me and I was able to transition in late December, early January. That was the first huge change of my career. Just going from being here, being at Odyssey, being in the sales department, and taking that big jump, that's a year ago, I had no idea where I was going to be. And that's why I say there's you don't you kind of just forge your own path. There is no blueprint. And I did, and I'm here now on the, the radio side, sitting in a studio when I remember I used to like peek my head into the studios to see what goes on behind these walls. And that was like a crazy thought to me. And now I'm here every night. And so that's the first thing that I just have to appreciate how far I've come in that sense. And then thought, think about the things I've done. I went from working a couple overnights a week, not making any money, just working overnights. I've been live on the air so many times at this point between hosting shows, producing shows. Well, not really hosting, but I've hosted a couple segments with the host, got to co-host a couple segments, but producing shows, doing the traffic reports, that's live on air, to being asked to do things like sports anchoring, which I might start doing on the station, and I've been working on tapes for that, to going to games, to even last year while I was still in sales, I went to the golf tournament. That was after my birthday. That was one of the most incredible sporting events I've ever been to. To working at Pickles pregame before the show, just pregame before Orioles, that my office is across the street from Camden Yards working there, and it's a job. I'm sitting there drinking beers and talking sports and getting paid to do it, and just saying yes to everything and not letting any job pass me by. I think what this past year has been able to do, and the beginning of this new name of the podcast, and going all in. And sharing it with the people who I feel closest with and feeling comfortable that this is what I'm trying to do and really going for it. And so much has changed in the last year of my life that I'm so grateful for. And so I just want to look back. And like I said, I don't know where it's going to be next year, but if this trajectory continues and there's no reason, there's no way it can possibly continue is what I think. But the trajectory has been on a rocket ship to the moon so quickly that who knows, maybe it could only keep going. And I, I can't believe that it's been this way. Like when I look back a year later, I, I can't put it into words. I didn't write down any notes about this. I just kind of knew that I wanted to talk about this, wanted to talk about recapping the last year. And the fact that I am where I am today uh, is truly, it's unbelievable. And I just, the people closest to me are the people I appreciate the most, but the people who listen to this and the people who support this podcast, because that's where it all started are the people who mean the most to me. And I just appreciate that so much. And like I said, I I couldn't dream of being here a year ago. So with that, I'll I'll get into sports. But like I said, it seems corny that I kind of start every episode talking about this. But one of the main reasons why I started this podcast was to diary my journey in this industry. Um, I didn't know that at the time that there would be a real journey in this industry. But I remember the first the first question I asked was, how do you get in? How do you open the door? And I had no idea. And I said to myself, if I ever do open that door, if I ever do get in, if I ever can trailblaze a, pl- a path for myself, I won't let anyone behind. I will lead the way. I will try and leave the breadcrumbs. I'll try and tell my story. And it's also great for me to come listen back because if, I year, if in a year from now I can listen back to this episode... And hear how I was talking and maybe how the episode sounds. Sometimes it's, wow, I sounded really bad on that episode or the episode was a bad episode. Sometimes it's that. Other times it's just, wow, a year ago I was there. 
a year ago was a big deal that I was doing this. And now I'm working with Bill Ripken and we text back and forth and we're kind of buddies, you know? Um, and I had the broadcaster for the New York Yankees on my podcast and he's nice and, and close enough and someone who I can consider a friend now. Today I was talking to Kevin Brown, who's the play-by-play TV voice of the Orioles on Masson. And we were just kind of schmoozing. And another person who is just someone that I can consider a friend at some point, like even if it's not, we're not close. Maybe we've met once, but like we're friendly enough. It's just everything about it is, uh, it's truly just like miraculous. And, uh, man, I'm lucky. So, uh, I appreciate everyone listening and I'm going to talk sports cause I think I'm better at that than doing whatever the hell I was doing for the last 20 minutes. All right, let's get into the Yankees. Cause I, like I said, I was at the Yankee game today and they split the first two games of the series, there's a rubber game. And honestly, I think if the Yankees, and if more specifically Michael King doesn't get hurt, the Yankees are going into this series or into the game today looking to sweep a series. I think Michael King getting hurt in the first game of the series really changes the series. And Michael King's injury, we'll get to that in a minute because that's a devastating loss for the Yankees. But Michael King gets hurt, and because of that, Garrett Cole's able to convince... Aaron Boone to send him back out for the seventh inning last night. Obviously a mistake. Over 100 pitches already. Didn't have his A stuff. He wasn't his sharpest. It's not like against the Astros last year where he was super sharp and so you're sending him out for an extra inning and he's all fired up and he's ready to go. And we've seen this a couple times now this year where Boone's let Cole talk him into leaving him out there. And I like that. I like that from Boone. I like that from Cole. But Cole goes out there and then he gives up a couple runs and the Yankees lose the lead. And then all of a sudden, it was downhill from there. And the feisty Orioles who keep fighting back, that's what's been the motto for them throughout this winning streak, throughout this hot streak they've been on, is they're feisty. They keep fighting. They're never out of a game. And they came back and they beat the Yankees. And I'm not terribly shocked by what happened. So it's 1-1 in the series. Yankees get the first game closer than you'd like to think it was. It never felt as close as 7-6, but you look up at the scoreboard at the end of the game and it was 7-6. After a three-run home run off Araldis Chapman, who's not found it yet since coming off the IL, makes it a close game. And then the next day, like I said, the Yankees had a chance right there. They're up 3-2. Cole goes back out, maybe because King wasn't available and was hurt. And the Yankees didn't know what they were doing with their bullpen. And now the series is tied at one, coming into the rubber game. And boy, it's 100 degrees on the field. It's a 135 start, dead of the afternoon. Maybe they should have started this game at noon the way they did when I went to the Angels game. And the first thing I actually thought of, because Trevino, I think, caught... He definitely caught the game last night, but I think he caught the first two games of the series. I was like, how are you putting Trevino back out there? He didn't really have an all-star break because he was at the all-star game. But then how do you not put Trevino out there? With the way we saw it play out on live TV at the all-star game, the communication and the cadence that Nestor and just the ability to work together that Nestor and Trevino had, that battery mate, you had to put them out there for this game because that was everyone knew what was going on, the way they were communicating, and how much fun that was to watch and how in rhythm they were in the All-Star game. You had to put them out there for this game, and they do. Trevino goes out there and catches Nestor, and the story was about both of them. It's 900-degree heat. Nestor was laboring at times where he was stepping off the mound. The play started booing a little bit, but he looked like, I, I remember, and this is the, as close as I can compare the weather today, the last hottest game I was at was the game in New York on a night game where I felt this heat where I was, I was literally, my cap, my nose, everything was just dripping down and just falling literally on the f- seat in front of me. The last time I felt that was the game in New York when Dylan Bundy puked on the mound. That's how hot it was. Only now there was a sun beating down also. So when Trevino was stepping off, I honestly thought he was going to throw up. <laughs> like a couple times it looked like he was going to hurl. Honestly. And the fact that he was able to go out there and toss the six innings, seven strikeouts, no runs, the way he was able to do that, and the way he was locating his fastball, and the fact that he was getting 93 on his fastball, at a fastball that usually sits about 91 max, and he was getting 93 on it, and he was getting 90 on his cutter, that was incredible what he was able to do and the location he was putting on it. And he had that. I remember the first time I realized he was really locked in in this game was when it was first and third after the error where Gleyber Torres is playing left field because they put the four-man outfield in 
and he catches a ball or drops a ball, I should say, that would have been easily caught by the left fielder had they just played a three-man outfield. And instead, Glaber kind of looks over his shoulder back at Gallo and drops it. And the error allows the guy to go to second. And then another base hit has runners on the corners with one out. And now Nestor has to work out of it. And at that point, Nestor decides, all right, I'm striking the next two batters out. And he did. One with a slider, one with a fastball. At that point, I was like, oh, God, Nestor is locked in. And he was locked in. He was walking off the mound with such confidence. He was striding out there. He was break, dropping down to the three-quarter. He didn't do any of the crazy long leg kicks. Maybe it was a little too hot for that. But he was out there just dominating. And Trevino on the other end catches all nine innings in 100-degree weather with all the catcher gear on and everything. Owen had a four-hit ball game. Are you kidding me, Jose Trevino? The all-star battery mate of the New York Yankees won them this game. That is what won them this game, 100%. And a game that the Yankees almost needed to have after stumbling out of the gate after the All-Star game, losing the first two in that doubleheader against Houston, winning a game against Baltimore, but then losing the way they did last night. It was almost like the Yankees had to have this game, had to win the series, and they did. And that was awesome. That was awesome to watch. And two guys led the way. And then Clark Schmidt came in after six innings of Nestor, which, by the way, Nestor, I think it was five and two-thirds that he was at. And Boone went out. He said the conversation was, do you want this guy? And Nestor goes, I want this guy. And that was the whole conversation. Boone goes back to the dugout. The Yankee fans at Camden Yards, which was mostly everyone, erupt. There's 26,000-something people there. Seemed like a lot of Yankee fans. And the place went berserk as Boone walks back to the dugout, leaving Nestor out there. After the night before, he left Cole out there for too long. This time, Nestor answered the bell. He gets the out to end the sixth inning. Goes the full six, and then Clark Schmidt comes in with a clean inning in the seventh. Goes right through the lineup, through the seventh, through the eighth, through the ninth. And this is the second time, and this is what I talk about. Clark was incredible today. And the movement on his pitches. And if you're a Yankee fan, you don't love the way Clark Schmidt has been handled. Over the last few years, it feels like he's been sent down to the minor leagues too often. Every time he comes up, it's for a little cup of coffee just to fill in for a game where they need an extra arm, a spot start, or something. But every time he's up here, he makes something happen. The game that he had, and the last time I think I saw him pitch live, was the game against the, the Tigers, where Garrett Cole was awful, didn't last two innings, and Clark comes in and strands the bases loaded, I think, in that inning, and then just totally settled down from there. I pitched like four and two-thirds innings, something like that, and really got the Yankees that win. That was insane. And he comes out tonight, or today, I should say, with after the news of the Yankee bullpen and Loizaga doesn't look like himself, Chapman doesn't look like himself, and now King is going down, maybe Schmidt steps into that King role. And that's a huge loss for the Yankees. First of all, you never want to see a guy like Michael King get hurt. He seems like a good guy. He's hardworking, especially at the early stage of his career where he's finally really put everything together. And he's become a true weapon where he could get you two, three innings out of the bullpen in high leverage spots. That's a huge bonus to have that guy in the playoffs who can bridge you between a starter and then the top-notch guys in the bullpen. He's become one of the top-notch guys by being that bridge guy. And to see him miss out on the rest of this year and maybe even more, depending on if he needs Tommy John surgery, especially where, he at, where he's at in his career right now and the trajectory he's been on, that could totally derail a career and you don't want to see that. It's really sad to see and it's tough to see for the Yankees because that's irreplaceable. Those innings are going to be needed to be replaced and they're going to need to go find someone now, likely on a different team that they can trade for to find someone to eat those innings for the Yankees. And that's going to be something Brian Cashman has to now look at. But if there is a silver lining and you always have to look at the silver linings with this, maybe this is an opportunity for Clark Schmidt that for some reason he wasn't getting and maybe he can now step into that role. A couple innings, a spot start. Be a guy who comes in in a jam, cleans it up, and then throws an inning or two more. And can eat up multiple innings. Maybe your starter went four and a third and has a high pitch count and it's a close game though. And you want to take take him out. And you can't go to the high leverage guys just yet. And Clark is the guy who bridges the gap. Michael King was has been huge in that role to this point. You're going to need someone to step up in that role. And while I do think they need a trade for a bullpen arm, I hope Clark finally gets the opportunity. And he's made the most of it every time. And like I said, the two times I've seen him, excellent. And today was another example of that. He is as deserving of the win. A guy who is coming off the minor leagues. He's coming up from the minor leagues a day or two ago. And for him to come out and put together that performance also in the heat and to go three full innings, that's insane. 
Aaron Judge is on a different planet right now since we're talking about the Yankees. Um, <laughs> the home run he hit was as far as a ball hit I've seen hit when I was at Camden Yards. It went into like the shaded part of the lower deck right under like the back of left field. Like That is insane. It was 456 feet. Got out in a minute um, or in a second, I should say. He was all over. It was a hanging breaking ball. He knew it, um, and he just absolutely destroyed it. Just insane. And 37 home runs. He's on pace for 62 on the season. It's on. The the chase for Maris is on. And he had a little bit of a lull going into the All-Star break. But finally, he's hot again. And when he's hot, it's so much fun to watch. And he's been so hot lately in the series. He had eight hits in the series against the Orioles. And was on base, I think, ten times. And those home runs that he hit, he hit some moonshots in the series. He hit another one. I think it was 460 feet. He hit one over both bullpens. And if you know what it looks like in Camden Yards, there's the home bullpen and then the road bullpen. And then there's like a balcony up there. Baseballs don't go there. And Judge hit one onto that balcony over the Yankee bullpen the other night. Just insane. Another guy who's been hot of late is DJ LeMayhew. DJ LeMayhew, I talked about, I said this last episode, that I kind of called him out for not being as hot, and then all of a sudden he's totally gone off. In this game, he hit two line drives that were hit so hard, they didn't go more than 10 feet off the ground the entire time they were in the air. One was right at Cedric Mullins, and one was right at Trey Mancini. And if those weren't hit right at someone, they would have been doubles or maybe have would have gone through the wall because they were hit so hard and on such hard lines. So he should have had even more hits. I think he had a walk and a hit in the game. He had the first RBI base hit, and I think he had a walk later, so maybe it was one for three with a walk and a couple runs scored and an RBI. But those two shots that he hit, easily, those were the two hardest balls he hit of the game, and those were the ones that he didn't get hits on. That's how hot LeMahieu has been. Aaron Hicks cramps up in the heat, which was just... His previous at-bat, as he's walking to the plate, all of a sudden the trainer runs out. You didn't really see anything when he runs out when he's walking to the plate, but I guess the trainers did. And Boone comes out, and he chugs a Gatorade. Hicks does as fast as I've seen anyone. Takes a full bottle of Gatorade and puts it down, then goes up to the plate, gets his at-bat. And then the following at-bat is the at-bat. He hits the ball hard, lines a line drive, but he's basically limping to first, could barely get there as he gets the RBI single and comes out of the game for the cramps. And by the way, when Aaron Judge went to center field as the defensive replacement, the fans who stuck around in the heat, because those center field bleachers, that's where it's, 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 it's hottest in Camden Yards. And when those fans saw that Aaron Judge was coming out to greet them for the top of the ninth inning, or the bottom of the ninth rather, they went berserk. The umpire also cramped up in between innings. The home plate umpire was needed to be tended to. They were pouring cold water on him. They were bringing out the towels. It was just a crazy day. I'm sure there were people collapsing all around the ballpark. I, I, we were walked inside. It was just people who were soaking wet, trying to get a breather inside in the uh, in like the suite level. And shout out to like this is one of those moments where I think about the ballpark workers. And I was looking at the camera people who are trying to like use shade and stuff, like who have no choice, but they have to be out there, but they don't have the benefit of having the fans or having, uh, you know, AC that they could run down to in the tunnel the way the players and the managers and the coaches do. They're out there laboring. <laughs> and it's one of those days that you really appreciate all the people who do all that work at the ballpark. Um, and I made sure to try and just thank everyone on my way out. My wife mentioned this to me. She's like, y- you're really going to thank every single person you see on the way out. I'm like, do you realize what they went through today? So yeah. Um, Something that interesting that happened in this series is Giancarlo Stanton did not play the last two games. Selfishly, I was upset because I love Giancarlo Stanton. But it's the benefit of having a huge lead. I don't think he's hurt. Remember Aaron Judge missed a couple of games before the All-Star break and they said the same thing. They said, hey, we just wanted to get him off his legs. He's banged up and he's going to the All-Star game. He's not going to have much of a break. So they gave Aaron Judge the All-Star break before the All-Star break, and now they're giving Stanton the All-Star break after the All-Star break, and they're saying, hey, we want to give him a little bit more of a break. So they got him three consecutive days off because they have a huge lead in the American League East. And yes, they won one of the games, they lost the other one, but it wasn't because Stanton wasn't in the lineup necessarily. So now they have a day off on Monday, and Stanton can come back full strength on Tuesday. So is he hot, and you don't want to rest a hot bat? Maybe he hit that bomb in the All-Star game. But at the same time, he didn't have an all-star break, and you want to give a guy like that an all-star break, and you have the ability to do that, go ahead and do it. I, I don't hate it. I actually really like it. This week, though, is the week of rumors, because 
August 2nd is the MLB trade deadline. And that's when all the moves will officially go down. But until then, we'll see some moves. Daniel Vogelback already went to the Mets. I saw him score from second to home on less than less than eight seconds. That was quite the track if you watch the Mets game tonight on Sunday Night Baseball. By the way, Mark Kana, who apparently it's Kanye, uh, fascinating on Sunday Night Baseball in that interview. I, I found him to be really interesting. A guy that would have not have guessed had any personality at all. Has great personality. So good job by uh, ESPN kind of showing the personality of the game. I always talk about we want to do that more. We want to shine a light on the personalities in baseball because there are a lot of great personalities in baseball. They did a great job of that today um, with Marcana or Kana or Kanya, however you pronounce his name. He's still a fun listen. But here's the thing. We're going to hear a ton of rumors. I saw the Yankees are right back in on Benintendi this week. Jeff Passan wrote that the Yankees are the number one team to get Soto. And maybe you believe Passan, but Passan also has his own agendas when he's tweeting things. This is something that I wrote about him on Twitter, which ultimately has me blocked from him on Twitter. So I don't see Jeff Passan's tweets, but I see people who quote and who uh, screenshot and post Jeff Passan's tweets elsewhere. Um, but it's going to be rumors. There's going to be a lot swirling. There's going to be the Yankees are in on this guy. This guy's in on this guy. This team's in for this guy. I generally like to trust the... Uh, the Vegas odds are usually the most reliable sources, amazingly. Like, the Yankees are plus 450 to get Juan Soto, and I think the Mets are also plus 450, and those are the highest odds. So I, I trust Vegas on that. <laughs> Honestly, that's how I, I, I look at things. Um, speaking of, and I just want to talk on this, touch on this for a second, the Knicks have not yet traded for Donovan Mitchell. And everyone's saying, well, it's a done deal. We're just working out details. The fact that a deal has not come out yet, and maybe it's not a done deal, tells me one thing. The Knicks are not giving in. They're being smart. This is a good thing. I saw uh, someone tweeted this today. I'm not breaking any news with this, but the point is uh, that if the Knicks are not forcing a trade, if they're not running to trade everything away for Donovan Mitchell, it means that Leon Rose is trying to play a little bit of hardball. And if the deal hasn't been done yet, it means the Knicks are not folding as easily as we thought they might. It sounds like they're still going to get Donovan Mitchell. But if they're fighting a little bit, that's a good thing for Knicks fans. Hopefully they can fight as much as possible so that we're not just giving away everything for Donovan Mitchell. Even though ultimately, yes, that's the guy we want. And I saw the rumors about if they trade for Donovan Mitchell, then they might trade Westbrook for Randall. And again, the way you have to look at that is, yes, you trade Randall away for Westbrook because instead of having four years of $35 million a year on the books, you have one year $40-something million a year on the books. And then it's done and it's over. And if you truly believe that Donovan Mitchell is the guy who's going to bring in another superstar free agent, then you need to have the roster space to bring in the other free agent. And you can bring in a guy with that Randall money if you get rid of him for Russell Westbrook. And if you don't get rid of him, then you're stuck with that money and you have to figure out another way to maneuver it, how to get another free agent in here. That's just the facts. But we're going to hear rumors this week in baseball. And 99% of them are going to be BS. But that's how rumors work. You don't know who to trust. You don't know who to believe. Everyone's trying to use everyone to get information. So don't believe everything you hear. And hopefully, by August 2nd, we'll actually know what happens. So you'll wait seven days. You'll wait a week. And you'll hear exactly what's going on. And it'll all be truth. No lies will be told. We hope. Episode 2 of The Captain, the Derek Jeter documentary, came out. So... I said I was going to do a little recap of those episodes, so why not? That was Thursday night, so I'll talk about the episode for a second. One of the things that stood out to me in that episode, and I talked about the first episode with Jeter's determination and how he came from humble beginnings where people told him, you're not going to be a baseball player, you're not going to do this, you're not going to be able to do this. And he was like, hey, never tell me I can't do something. And the line he had in this episode was, when somebody doubts me, I remember what they were wearing, when they said it, where they said it, and how they said it. Something like that. I think I messed up the line. It was actually, it was like, I remember when they said it, how they said it, where they said it, and what they were wearing when they said it. Something like that. And then I, I make a mental note of that. And then I like to prove them wrong. I like to say, I told you so. Jeter is vindictive. And by the way, I can relate to that a little bit. I like to tell people I told you so. Um, it's this just com- competitive drive that he has to always try and prove people wrong is insane. It's a little bit sick, but it's insane. Um... He also said he treats a World Series game like a spring training game. He was talking about the 96 World Series when they were down 2-0 and no one thought they could go into Atlanta and win games for 3-4. and four. And he said, well, I wasn't nervous because I was just 
relax because when you treat a spring training game like it's a World Series game and vice versa, then you treat every game the same. Then you know what to go in. You know what to expect going in. It's just playing a baseball game and going out there and playing as hard as you can and playing to your instincts and everything like that. So you wonder why Jeter was able to keep it calm, cool, and collected in the clutch moments that he always was able to do. He was always able to keep it calm in the clutch moments. Maybe that's why. Because he treated everything the same way. He approached it with the same approach every single day, day in and day out. He stayed methodical. It's that type A personality, but it's also just how hardworking he is and putting his head down and not getting too high, not getting too low, and just treating everything the same way. He also had a line that I love, and I've. this is something that I've related to for a long time. It's funny that it happens in this episode because it's something that I've always talked about. He said, competition eliminates complacency. And he was talking about how when they won the first World Series, they just wanted to win the second and the third and the fourth. And without, you know, and without competition, people become complacent and they stop working. They stop striving to do more and more and more. And the reason he was able to keep working hard and keep pushing was because there was competition. And I believe that in every field. I actually, where I live now in Baltimore, I don't want to hate on anyone, but where I live in Baltimore, I say it all the time because you look at the, the chain restaurants here. Everyone's so like happy with what there is they'll never improve like certain restaurants here that just don't up their game ever and it's like well the customers like it so we don't have to do it and no restaurant is coming in to change it because they won't be successful because the people here actually just like what they like so there's complacency so it's one of the examples i thought of but um it's just competition eliminates complacency i bought the t-shirt rotoware made a t-shirt with the two it's in the shape of a two it says competition eliminates complacency Easily going to be one of my most worn t-shirts, as Rotoware always does. They make a t-shirt that I'm going to wear a ton, so they did it again. Another thing that we don't talk about so much is after the Yankees, I think it was after 98, the Yankees won two of the last three World Series, or maybe it was even after 99, and this team is the best team, and the guy in the middle of all of it is Derek Jeter, the young shortstop. But no, Hal Steinbrenner, or at the time it was actually... George Steinbrenner, but it was the first year of Brian Cashman. It was kind of the severance of the relationship between Brian Cashman and Derek Jeter because that never that relationship was never good. But Brian Cashman was like, "Sorry, Jeter, we want to pay you three point two five million. You want five million? We're going to go to arbitration." And they did. So when we talk about how bad the situation is between Aaron Judge and the Yankees, this is not new. This kind of relates to what I said last episode. We always like to look at everything that's going on in the present as oh, this is the worst, how do we let it get to this, blah, blah, blah. It couldn't possibly be worse than this. No, it could. <laughs> and in fact, it was this bad. Derek Jeter actually went to arbitration when he was like three years into his career or four years into his career with the team and had already won two World Series. And he sat there in arbitration and won his arbitration hearing over the Yankees and then made a comment about the arbitration hearing at the ESPYs in front of everyone to George Steinbrenner made a snide remark at George Steinbrenner at the ESPYs talking about his arbitration hearing and how he won. So, like, we think it's so bad and what the Yankees are doing right now with Aaron Judge is the worst possible thing. They avoided arbitration after all that. It's not all doom and gloom, Yankee fans. Sometimes you have to look at the broad picture and be like, this happens before. It's just part of the nature of it and a deal can still be done. Daryl Strawberry had the line of the episode, if you're wondering. He said, they had a brawl in 98 against the Orioles. And he it was it went into the Oriole dugout at Yankee Stadium. And Strawberry goes, if I hadn't been pulled out of the dugout, I'd still be in there fighting today. He said that in the documentary 25 years later. I love that line. I thought that was hilarious. Um, just random Daryl Strawberry line who seems to be like an insightful older man talking about how he, the way he helped Jeter along the way with the nightlife and stuff because he made all his mistakes when he was on the Mets and then came to the Yankees later in his career when he was a little wiser and older. He's kind of like plays the wise old owl to young Derek Jeter in this episode, which is cool. Um, but like I said, Jeter always loved the doubters. He loved to prove them wrong. And that was something that drives him and something that still drives him. And he also says... He can't look at people the same. He looks at people and he thinks, what are you trying to get out of me? And that's something that's so terrible, but it happens to be so true that people are always looking for their own thing and always looking to gain something. 
and I had this this week, and maybe this person's listening, and I feel bad, but um, I have this all the time where there's certain people who I haven't heard from in forever. And there was a client of mine while I was in sales here at Odyssey who, when I tried to reach out to him to schedule sales meetings, I'd go weeks without hearing back from him. But now he wanted tickets to today's game, Yankees against the Orioles. You bet he was emailing me like it was the most urgent thing in the world. It's kind of funny how that works. I mean, I wouldn't mind giving him tickets if I had. I just happen to have not had had. But like, it's just funny how people are always looking to see what they can get out of you. Um, it's just an interesting thing. And it sucks that Jeter, now I know this, when I meet Derek Jeter, he's going to be thinking, what What does this kid want from me? Or what does this guy want from me? I don't know how old I am when I how old I'm going to be when I meet him on this trajectory if we continue bring it full circle to the beginning of the episode <laughs> hopefully I'll uh I'll meet him within the year who knows um he's one of my heroes and he's one of the people I definitely want to meet but he's becoming more and more one of my heroes hearing him talk in this episode and hearing the mindset and the outlook he had on life yeah sometimes a little bit too crazy a little bit like psychotic with how intense and how uh just his drive was but at the same time, it's what got him to where he ended up being and what made him who he was. A couple of football topics, because I keep talking about how I'm dying for football to come back. So when there's a football topic, I got to talk about it. So Kyler Murray gets paid. I talked to Jason Lock and Fora about this on Friday when we were in between uh, during a commercial break um, when we were doing the show at Pickles. Uh, the bar across the street from Camden Yards, we were talking about um, Kyler Murray. And he's like, yeah, Kyler Murray's like 14th best quarterback in the league max. And he got paid this contract. Kyler Murray's going to get paid. It's five years, $46.1 million a year. Are you insane? And there's a few levels to this. And we, we kind of had this conversation where I was like, well, first of all, what the Browns did. The Browns, they gave all this guaranteed money to Deshaun Watson, a guy who may never play a snap for them. And they ruined it for everyone. They ruined it for the Ravens who are trying to get a deal with Lamar Jackson now. So all of a sudden, the bar has been set so high by the Browns with the guaranteed money that now the Cardinals have to come in and offer this huge guaranteed contract to Kyler Murray, who has been hurt. He has proven that he's not been great in playoffs. He's been graded in Septembers and Octobers, but has fallen off in every season. And not only that, but the relationship was so severed, apparently, that he unfollowed them on Instagram and social media and it was a big deal. And what, because the kid threw one temper tantrum, now all of a sudden you have to pay him because you're so scared? And the answer is yes, because if you don't pay him, someone else will. And that's the thing. When we go through the quarterbacks, and I'm going to do this in a couple minutes here, go through my top 32 quarterbacks in the league, and you look at where I had him on my list... And it's not far off from what Jason Locke and Forrest said. And I wrote the list before I talked to him, but it was good to get his confirmation. Um, as one of the top NFL insiders for CBS. Yeah, not bad. At the end of the day, when you think about it, if you don't pay the quarterback, another team's going to. Because this league is desperate for quarterbacks. And so, yeah, one of the things he pointed out also, Jason, was that Arizona has so much money tied up into a couple of places. They're paying... Uh, Kyler a ton of money obviously now they're playing uh, Cl- uh, Cliff Kingsbury a ton of money the way they've handled their contracts has not been the smartest so to say that it's just everyone is not really true but Kyler Murray all these things are true one he's not worth the money two he threw a temper tantrum and you gave him the money three it's the Browns fault that you had to give him the money four Arizona still if they were a better ran organization maybe wouldn't have given him the money exactly the way they did And five, with all that said, you had to give him the money because if you didn't, someone else would have. And that's that's really the 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 case of the matter here in the NFL with the quarterbacks, the way it's set up in this climate in the NFL, where everyone's trying to get the guy. And if you think you have him and traded Josh Rosen to get the first overall pick a second consecutive year and draft Kyler Murray, you better be sure that he's the guy. And they want to prove that he's the guy. And so I don't know how this contract is gonna play out over the next five years. But it's going to play out over the next five years because he's locked in, and now they have him. Jimmy Garoppolo was told that he's allowed to seek a trade, and he's a guy that I'm not going to have in my quarterback ranking because as of now, he's not a top 32 starter in the league. He's not one of the 32. He'd probably be higher up on the list today than Kyler Murray. We've seen what he can do. He's gone to a couple AFC Championship games, or NFC rather. He's gone to the Super Bowl. With all the doubters year in and year out, he's there. He's healthy. He's ready to go. But the Niners kind of backed themselves into a pickle. I think they realize that now they want to pay him because, or now they want to trade him because if they don't trade him within the next couple of weeks, then they have to pay him. 
But basically, they waited too long. They waited till everyone else in the league made their moves, got their quarterbacks. And then once that happened, Jimmy G's like, well, I'm going to take this opportunity to get healthy and t- have surgery. So now they're in a stuck where it's like, hey, we're allowing you to seek a trade. Yeah, you were allowing him to seek a trade this entire time. This is not news. They just came out and say, oh, we're allowing him to seek a trade. Yeah, I don't think this is news that they were allowing him to seek a trade. I think it's something that we kind of knew throughout this whole process. But the fact that they're coming out and saying it now is because they have no choice anymore. They have to get rid of him. They realize they've made a mistake because they're not going to get any return on him. But at this point, if they're saying, hey, go get a trade elsewhere, then maybe the relationship is severed there where now if they move off Trey Lance and Trey Lance, we have no idea what he is, what he can be in the NFL, then they're in a real tough spot. Do you bring Jimmy G back then? Like maybe you do want him on the roster. So they're in a really interesting situation. We'll see how that plays out. Maybe one of the teams like Seattle or something realizes now, hey, this week is the week that we could get Jimmy Garoppolo for cheap because the Niners don't want to pay him and they maybe have their quarterback of the future in Jimmy G. So I teased it for a while, and I do want to tease one more thing because I'm going to close the episode with this. I do have some NBA stuff I said I was going to talk about. Um, I had an idea that I'm going to tease. So keep waiting. It'll be on, hopefully, Wednesday morning's episode. I'll do my NBA piece. But I do want to do the top 32 quarterbacks in the NFL. And here's my list. And maybe I'll just reveal the first 10 quarterbacks on the list. 32 through 23, just to keep it intriguing. Because we have a lot of weeks to kill till the football season. Like I said, I'm going to put them all in like kind of a bracket and then pin them against each other and say, who would I rather have? And that's when we'll really get into each quarterback. But for now, I'm just going to go through the 10 bottom on the list. And at number 32, the guy I just mentioned, Trey Lance. We have no idea what he is. The guy, we, he could be a great NFL quarterback. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. But we have no idea. And that's exactly the point. And that's the scary part if you're the Niners, that you put all your eggs in this basket, the Trey Lance basket, and who knows how that's going to work out. I think as far as the starting quarterbacks go going into this season, he is the worst. He's number 32 in the NFL. Number 31 might be worse than number 32 because we know what he is, and we've seen it countless times, and yet people still keep going back to him, and that's Drew Locke. Drew Locke is not capable of being an NFL starting quarterback. We know he got trolled recently on Twitter. I forget who it was. Maybe it was golf, maybe it was tennis. I think it was tennis that they trolled Drew Locke through a fan. And Drew Locke, like, again, time and time again, gets more and more opportunities. And I still don't believe that the Seahawks actually think this is the right move to have him as their starting quarterback going into next year. But as of now, that's what they have. Number 30 is Daniel Jones. The same situation. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. And yeah, at times, he's shown flashes where he could be even top 15 in the league with his capabilities, his ability to run, his ability to get out of the pocket. But it seems like every time he runs, he fumbles. And every time he gets in a rhythm throwing the ball, all of a sudden he's throwing an interception. So if he puts it all together this year, he could take a major jump off this list. But you put together the combination of hurt and turnovers, it's not a great combination, and that's why he's number 30 on this list. Number 29 is a guy who I think will end up jumping a lot on this list. He gets hated on by a lot of people, including myself. Well, the last year I thought I was a believer, and that's Mitch Trubisky. I think in the right situation in Pittsburgh, we could see him take a major jump this year. He's at 29 now because ultimately his talent is just bland. He's not, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, the guys who could be the big play quarterback. He's never going to be that. But we've seen quarterbacks like him, mainly the guy who's in Tampa now is in New England, who never really had the best talent in the world. But when they put it all together and it clicked, they became some of the best quarterbacks. And he's getting another opportunity with a great system and a great team and we'll see what he can become. But going into the, this year, I have him at 29. Number 28, I have Justin Fields. This kid has been per, put in the worst possible situation every time. He's been thrown out there to the Wolves as a rookie quarterback when he shouldn't have had any success. And the fact of the matter is, he hasn't. So he's number 28 on this list. Number 27, I have Trevor Lawrence. It can't be that all this talent and all the hype was fake. Comparing him to Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck... I'm not ready to believe yet that it was fake, but I don't think we saw even flashes of it last year at all. He looked totally lost in a terrible system with a terrible situation, a terrible coaching situation, and everything else that happened in Jacksonville. Number 26, I have Tua Tungavailoa. This guy needed to be bailed out a thousand times by Ryan Fitzpatrick and other backup quarterbacks. That's not necessarily a good thing. 
I'm scared for what's going to happen, and I think he could rapidly fall from 26 to even further down this list. Maybe Tyreek Hill can save him a little bit, but I don't think he can actually cover all the warts that he's going to have, and eventually I think he'll be lower down this list. Number 25, I have Zach Wilson. He gets a little bump because of what he did at the end of the season and because of what he's been doing or who he's been doing this offseason. And that's all I have to say about Zach Wilson. I don't want to say too much because people are already going to come at me. Oh, you have Zach Wilson at 25. Yeah, I have him at 25. Deal with it. I'm a Jets fan. Number 24 is Marcus Mariota. We've seen him be capable of being successful in this league, but he's getting another opportunity as a starter in this league, which we haven't seen in a while. This time with the Atlanta Falcons. He has a tight end. That's about it. (laughs) The Falcons offense, like I said, they drafted poorly the way they drafted their wide receivers, their tight ends. It kind of makes no sense when they have really no plan in place. It seems like they're a directionless franchise. But they trade away Matt Ryan, try and recoup some picks. They get him to Indianapolis, and now Marcus Mariota, they're going to be relying on him to be their starting quarterback. And like I said, we've seen him have success at times. More often than not, he hasn't. And number 23, and the last one I'll be listing today, is Davis Mills. I think he was the most overshadowed of the rookie quarterbacks last year. Mac Jones, obviously, was probably the best of the quarterbacks last year. But Davis Mills, if Mac Jones isn't there, or if Davis Mills is on New England and Mac Jones is in Houston, we might be talking about Davis Mills as the best quarterback from the rookie draft last year. Maybe it was just a matter of him just being stable and being solid, where everyone else had such rapid up and downs. Mac Jones not included. And he was just solid in a situation that was so chaotic. And so maybe Houston does have their quarterback of the future with Davis Mills. All right, that's going to wrap it up for me today. Like I said, I was only going to give you 10 quarterbacks. And again, I could reread the list of the bottom 10. Trey Lance, Drew Locke. Daniel Jones, Mitch Trubisky, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Tua Tagovailoa, Zach Wilson, Marcus Mariota, and Davis Mills. That is going from 32 to 23. Um, I'll be back with more on Tuesday night going into Wednesday morning. I don't know what I'm going to be talking. Have some NBA topics. I'll continue the football list, the NFL list. We'll talk quarterbacks. I'm sure there'll be reaction to that. Keep talking baseball and a bunch of other stuff. I'm sure there'll be more trade rumors. And like I said, it'll be my birthday. So maybe we'll talk more about kind of the process of how I got to where I am and who knows maybe we'll talk a little bit about where I'm going I appreciate everyone listening again like subscribe follow listen share it with a friend if you like it all that good stuff rate review and until next time see ya you were the best nights of my life you got the light that always shines I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and road graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be that one that's got you on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go Oh, 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 oh I change it Oh, oh, oh Always on my own oh, oh, I'm still New York You're the only Oh, oh, oh That I'll ever know Oh, oh My concrete Oh, oh, oh I'm still New York Yeah
BK born and raised, I was God sent. I used to hit them courts, y'all didn't prospect. Take them long walks on my time spin. Just a kid with that empire, stay the mindset. Kick flipping off a blind deck, dipping from the New York City's finest. Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit. Walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it. Even if I do, though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving. East side be the only side that I'm riding. I'm still here.